Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of July 15th through the 17th, 2022. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. For any UK listeners, I hope you're hanging in there with the heat wave and 40 degrees Celsius weather. Um, as for myself, not too much going on in the moment. I'm somewhat behind on some other podcast episodes I've been meaning to put out, um, and I'm catching up on the new anime season for one of those uh, anime se- uh, podcast series I do. But otherwise, I'm really looking forward to this uh, coming weekend when I'm going to be when I have tickets to watch Sin Ultraman at the New York Asian Film Fest, as well as meeting up with a podcasting friend of mine coming in from out of town. Um, In any case, though, let's hop into this past weekend's box office. In first place, Thor Love and Thunder had a massive 68% drop to only $46.6 million in its second weekend in 4,375 theaters for a per theater average of $10,659 and a running domestic total of $233.9 million. Uh, overseas, it's made $264 million, putting it just under $500 million worldwide. Now, technically, the exact drop was 67.6 million percent, um, 67.6 million. 67.6%, narrowly missing the worst drop in the MCU, which still goes to Black Widow at 67.8%. Um, it's narrowly ahead of No Way Home's 67.5% drop. Now, if it had made 265000 less this weekend, it would have had the worst drop in the MCU. Um, and at this point, you know, with the, uh, it still does have the, the highest drop of uh, any 100 million opener film in history. Now, you know, for Marvel fans, it has it is somewhat concerning that the drop of every Phase Four film, aside from Shang Chi at fifty four percent, has been the war, the five worst drops in MCU history. Uh, Eternals had a sixty two point three percent, Doctor Strange sixty seven percent, and then the aforementioned three films. Uh, Reddit user Avatar Kanal uh, on the box office subreddit actually put together a list of all the drops in the MCU, and by phase, there was a pretty marked drop. Uh, phase 1 over 6 films saw an average of 54.3% second week drop. Phase 2 overall saw a 57.2% second week drop with 6 films. And then Phase 3 with 11 films had an average 55.2% drop. Uh, meanwhile, Phase 4 over the last 6 films has had about a 64.3% average second week drop. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder did end up avoiding miss, uh, dropping by exactly $100 million, which I guess is something. Now, my take on all this, right, is that Disney really only has themselves to blame, right? You know, the, the yes, the reviews of the Phase 4 films have been somewhat lackluster, again, accepting Shang-Chi and, and No Way Home, but even the first Thor film with a B-plus cinema score had only a, 50, a 47.2% drop, which is actually the second best drop of the MCU. Now, I think really... Uh, What's causing all of this issue is the refocus of Disney on Disney Plus, um, and it's kind of trained consumers to expect these premier films to be available on Disney Plus sooner rather than later, you know, about 45 days or even less. So, you know, if reviews for a film aren't absolutely stellar, consumers are going to be willing to wait for it on Disney Plus eventually. You know, they'll, they'll know Disney is not going to pass up on putting it on there for free. Um, after all, you know, if they're already Marvel completionists, you know, and they'll already, subs- they'll already sub- subscribe to Disney Plus for all the TV shows like Miss Marvel and Moon Knight. So it's not as though they're paying any extra for it, right? right? If they're going to get it for free in a little bit, um, you know, functionally, if, they're already, if it's already a sunk cost that they already subscribe to Disney Plus, then it's not really driving any additional subscriptions to the platform um, on top of that you know these films always were kind of front-loaded you know, in that you know fanboys of, of these kind of like genre properties 
try to get in early to avoid spoilers, which is, you know, really why I think uh, No Way Home had its stop. It wasn't really bad. It, it ended up lagging out due to great weekday numbers. Um, but, you know, having Christmas being its second week and, you know, again, being the culmination of the Spider-Man films um, really, uh, you know, drove people to go really early, which kind of inflated the first weekend a, a little bit. So these two factors combined, I think, is leading to the so-called decline of the MCU. Now, don't forget, this film has already made half a billion dollars in a little over a week and a half. So it may, I don't, I think the MCU isn't going to be the unlimited money printer that it has been for much of Phase 3, um, but it's still going to make a lot of money and definitely still going to be profitable for Disney. Um, I think you know, if they want to maximize profit, they're going to, I think, need to really rethink their Disney Plus strategy, though given what, what given Bob Chapek's been renewed for three years I, and his, his mandate is to uh, get Disney Plus uh, as high as possible, I, I think that myopic focus on there is really hurting the box office numbers of these MCU films. Um, and, you know, I think kind of sadly this may potentially cause another director to end up leaving the Star Wars project with Taika Waititi supposedly being the next director of a Star Wars film. Um, with this being kind of lackluster, people maybe you know either reining him in a little bit more, not giving him, not giving him as much free reign, or he might not have as much creative control as he wants and ends up leaving. So we'll see how they handle that. Uh, in any case, for how much money Thor now, as far as how much money Thor: Love and Thunder will actually make at the end, looking at Phase Four films, you know, Shang Chi, The No Way, and uh, No Way Home, the best reviewed films had about a three X multiplier. Um, you know, uh, Eternals, the worst reviewed, managed a two point three one X multiplier, and then Doctor Strange and Black Widow are two point one nine and two point two nine respectively. So, assuming worst case, call it like a two point two X multiplier, um, that would put it at about three fifteen domestic. Uh, two point three X multiplier. I would put in about 330 uh, million domestic. So if we're assuming we'll maybe say a 60-40 split between uh, international and domestic, uh, that would end up with about 780 to 820 million or so uh, worldwide, um, right between Thor Ragnarok's uh, 850 million and Guardian of the Galaxy's 770 million dollars. So 800 million, I think, would be kind of like the the sweet spot for where this one could potentially end up. Uh, in second place, Minions Rise of Gru dropped 42% in its third weekend in 4,111 theaters, 26.8 million, for a per theater average of 6,528, a total domestic total of 263 million to date. Overseas, it's made another 269 million, putting it worldwide at about 534 million to date. Uh, despite opening lower than the first Minions movie, it already has overtaken its weekend totals as of weekend three, making 26 million versus the first one's 22 million in the equivalent weekend. Given that the first Minion movie still made $1.15 billion, uh, I think that bodes well for the big B uh, question for the Minions. Uh, in third place, we have a new opener film, Where Are the Crawdads Sing, which is an adaptation of the best-selling novel, made, which made 17, and it made 17 million in its first weekend, uh, that outperforms the 16.2 million predicted by box office pros quite a bit, a little bit, um, which shows that despite the middling reviews from critics, right, only 37% from Rotten Tomatoes, uh, audiences really resonated here with those attending, uh, giving it a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and an A- cinema score. I guess the Reese Witherspoon book club came through here. Uh, reviews suggest that if you like the book, you'll like this. This, which I think shows the value of having these built-in IPs uh, and built-in audiences for these adaptations. Now, the question is if, if that built-in fan base is front-loaded or if it'll play out uh, well over the, uh, the relatively quiet rest of summer. 
Uh, part of also what helped here is that this one was skewed female, uh, 75% women, which is kind of outstanding, 40% uh, over 45 years old. Uh, now, with a budget of about $24 million, this will need about $60 million total to break even, uh, maybe a little bit less if their marketing costs were kept low, which I didn't really see a ton of marketing for this until maybe like the week before. Um, a good comparison here would probably be uh, the murdery mis uh, mystery bestseller adaptation Gone Girl, which had a 4.47x multiplier, though that one opened about three times as much. And in October, uh, during a Legio Awards season, had you know the the buzz of uh, David Lynch involved. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, David Fincher involved, um, as well as you know uh, I think general uh, somewhat split um, somewhat split um, uh, audience reviews, but better critic scores. So um, you know not sure if it's fully comparable. Now a 4.47x multiplier would put this at 62.5 million domestically only, which would be break even. Um, I don't know what plans there are for international release, so I assume it's going to get one. Um, also tangentially related to the box office, this uh, moderate success of the film actually has reunited a, a look at the original author, Delia Owens, uh, who is wanted for questioning in Zambia for an alleged killing of a poacher while living in Africa several years ago, um, which, you know, given that this is all about the murder mystery as well, is kind of ironic if you think about it. Uh, fourth place goes to Top Gun Maverick, hanging in there in week eight. Uh, it's made 12 million in 3,292 theaters for an excellent 21% drop, crossing into the 600 million domestic mark with 618 million. Uh, overseas, it added another 602 million to date for 1.2 billion worldwide. Um, that is now number 11 on the domestic all-time list, only about 2 million away from crossing into the top 10 and knocking out The Last Jedi. Um, and 21 on the international chart, about 16 million away from knocking out Fate of the Furious out of the top 20. Uh, it'll probably make at least 675 million domestic and probably push for 700 million, uh, which would put it at number five or six all time, depending on which side of Black Panther it ends up on. At the very least, though, Tom Cruise is definitely making bank with a reported 75 million take home after the first gross 10% cut from Paramount. Uh, finally, for fifth place goes to Elvis with a solid 28% drop in week four for 8 million in 3,305 theaters per theater average of 2,421 and a running total of 106.6 million, putting it into that $100 million domestic club for the year. Um, overseas, it's made $79 million, putting it $185 million to date worldwide, still splitting the difference between Rocketman's $5.6 million and Bohemian's $8 million for week four, skewing a bit toward Rocketman and going to probably end up in about $130 to $140 million domestic range. Um, that a the $85 million production budget break-even is $212.5 million, uh, which would be worldwide. But, you know, with Oscar buzz for Austin Butler and probably some technical awards, this seems like it'll make its money back at the very least with some Oscar re-releases down the road. Now, outside the top five, we have another wide opener, which is a bit of a flaming disaster. Uh, Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, formerly known as Blazing Samurai, uh, is an animated film released by Paramount Pictures under the Nickelodeon animation banner, starring the voices of Michael Sarah and Sam Jackson as a cat and dog samurai in the center of the classic black comedy western Blazing Saddles. Um, apparently, this one has been in development hell since 2010 or so, starting with Sony Picture Animation, bouncing around to like 13 different countries or something uh, before finding and, and ending up at Open Road Films with multiple producers attached. Um, while the production budget for this over the years has ballooned to $45 million, Paramount picked this one up for only about $10 million or so from Open Road. Um, despite that low bar, this one's still open to only $6.3 million over the weekend, below even the $7.5 million estimate from Box Office Pros for the lowest animated film opening since Spirit Untamed. While it does have an OKA minus cinema score, and uh, it does have a lackluster 58% critics and 69% nice percent audience 
score on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, as well as with competition from Minions, as well as DC League of Super Pets, another animal uh, animated film coming up next week. Um, it probably won't make back the marketing and advertising costs for Paramount Film here, but given all the extra cash they've made from uh, Top Gun, I don't think they're too worried about this one. Um, aside from that, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris opens from Focus Features to 1.9 million and 980 theaters for a per theater average of 1,193. But notably, with a higher female audience here, with 44% of the audience being a woman above 55 years old. And then Marcel the Cell with Suzanne opening up in 153 theaters in its uh, four, fourth week had a per theater average of 3,712. Also looks like director uh, Dean Fleischer-Camp just got tapped to direct the upcoming live-action adaptation of Lilo and Stitch, which in my eyes is a good thing. Um, also, while we're at it, uh, while we don't have numbers for it, Netflix released their uh, new Russell Brothers film, Grey Man, starring Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, and Anna de Armas. There are about 400 locations. Um, reports from the industry seem to suggest that it's making less than Red Notice did uh, when they released it last year. Uh, overall, total box office was $132.6 million this weekend. Uh, coming up this weekend, the main release will be Jordan Peele's Nope from Universal, estimates of $40 to $60 million for its three-day opening. Uh, his first film, Get Out, uh, in, I believe, February, made $33 million, um, and his more, recent get, uh, his more recent film, Us, made $70 million in its, I think, uh, I want to say, summer opening. Um, both went on to make $175 million, nearly exactly. Um, so we'll see if this continues that trend. The embargo for this one does not lift until 24 hours before for the film, which may be a bad sign, but you know, given that it might be you know hit, hit hiding a twist, um, could also make sense. Um, so no idea what reception from the critics will look like here. Overseas, we don't have too much to report. Uh, notably, Jurassic World Dominion, which I haven't talked about yet this episode, crossed into the $900 million range with a $901 million to date worldwide. It opens in Japan this coming weekend and it will be its last push to try to get to a, a $1 billion. Uh, over in China, Detective vs. Sleuths made $18.4 million in its second weekend uh, uh, to top the weekend uh, for a running total of $58.8 million, projected to end at $110 million. Uh, second place went to local science fiction comedy Mozart from Space um, from you know, a Chinese director who's known for a lot of hits, but this one seemed to disappoint, uh, $16.6 million uh, for its opening weekend. Um, lighting up the stars, local film came out in third place uh, in its third weekend, $16.2 million for a running $210 million to date, or I think it was more than third weekend. I, I've lost track. Um, and then Jurassic World Dominion made $2.9 million in week 6 for running $151 million total. Um, I actually don't know when the next Hollywood film set to come out in, ho- in China is at this point. Um, in any case, beyond the numbers, we have some new movie dates. Uh, the sequel to the 2009 horror film Orphan, titled Orphan First Look, is having a simultaneous day and date release on Paramount Plus and in theaters this coming August 19th. Um, and then looking ahead, the DC Batgirl film, originally set for HBO Max later this December, is officially dated for, su- for sometime in 2023, I believe October, uh, since it would need to come out after the upcoming Flash film. Uh, presumably, this one also means it'll be getting a theatrical release, possibly a theatrical exclusive release, um, which makes sense given uh, David Zaslav's rethinking of how they want to approach um, you know, the DC release schedule uh, after the merger with Discovery. Uh, also set for uh, 2023 over in June, uh, the R-rated comedy No Hard Feelings starring Jennifer Lawrence is set to release uh, in the vein of Risky Business from the writer-director of Good Boys and Bad Teacher, which were pretty decent films, uh, opening opposite Pixar's Elemental for some decent counter-programming. 
outside of the release dates, looking at VOD and streaming, everything everywhere all at once, which I'm never going to uh, stop talking about if I have a reason to do so. Uh, topped the VOD platforms last week at number one on all three stores of Voodoo, Google Play, and iTunes, showing the power of having a strong theatrical run uh, in building word of mouth for uh, you know home media uh, buying. Uh, honestly, I'm probably due for another rewatch of this one. Uh, meanwhile, over at Disney, it looks like Hulu has actually driven more subscriber growth at uh, over Disney Plus over the last uh, two years or six quarters. While Disney Plus has more total subscribers, 138 million to date versus 45 million for Hulu, um, Disney Plus rate of growth has stalled, probably hitting a ceiling with their current lineup of content uh, being more for retention, more so than uh, growth. Um, uh, whereas Hulu seems to be getting a lot of really interesting things coming out. I believe the new Predator film is coming out uh, August 5th, so that you know that that definitely I think is helping there. Um, and then over on the Netflix side of things, their fall continues uh, with them bleeding one million one million subscribers uh, in Q2. Though that was only actually half of the two million that analysts were expecting. Uh, the breakdown by region seems to be about two million total loss between the U.S. and Europe, while Asia with cheaper uh, subscription costs grew their subscriber base uh, by one million total for the net negative one million. Uh, and then finally, kind of you know, in, in line with that, just putting up some warning signs for the ever-looming recession, it looks like a survey of consumers from Variety suggests that 38% of respondents are cutting down entertainment spending and economic amid economic growth, including going to the movies. So given that you know, the rest of the, you know, after, after the first half of August, you know, into September and October, it looks pretty light in terms of, of major films coming out. Um, this might be a bit of a rough uh, Q3 for the, uh, for the box office coming up, but you know, hopefully things were, are able to solder uh, uh, soldier on but with that I think that's a wrap for this episode shoot me ideas for what else I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zealand.com or over on twitter at bowatchpodcast or so it's on Spotify iTunes and Google Play make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least tell a friend any of that helps if you're feeling extra generous consider supporting us on Patreon which lets me make not only this show but all the other podcasts I work on links to all that will be in our show notes uh, numbers used in the show come from dnumbers.com our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod at incompetech.filmies.io editing production by Ninsboy Media until next time this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast and remember, our watch goes on.